seems like every local in the valley here has a mountain bike. This sport is really exploding. I break the law. I ride illegal trip. And it's getting away from the cops, the cars, the concrete. Those Afaka is a Chinese down here. Using snowboarders together on a run, you're looking for trouble. You know, they get on skis and they just think they can overcome the world. The more you around, the more you're going to find out. I like to think that death is out of the question. The life starts at 40 miles an hour. You ride the chairlift for two or three weekends and you have to go like climb hills all week just to be even with God, you know? Welcome to Mind the Track with Powbot and Trail Whisperer, ramblings from the skin track in winter, single track in summer, celebrating the core lords, and fostering the culture of mountain life in the Sierra Nevada and Great Basin. Today is November 13th, 2023, and you're listening to episode number 25. And by the way, thanks for listening. Help spread the word. Leave Mind the Track a rating and review, and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Got feedback or a core lord we should chat with? Drop us a line like listener Jay McNutt did at mindthetrackpodcast at gmail.com, at mindthetrack on Instagram, or just go to mindthetrack.com, our website, and let us know what you think of the show. We're recording today in TW Studio here on the banks of the Truckee River in beautiful Verdi, Nevada. I am the Trail Whisperer, and sitting beside me, as always, is the Professore of the Pow, the Director of the Powder Intelligence Agency and the United Shredders of Snow, the illustrious Powbots. What's up? I got hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I got a day. I got one day on snow. You got a day on snow? I got a day on snow. The White Ribbon I, of Death? You skied the White Ribbon I of did. Death? I conquered the White Ribbon oh, of Death. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't help myself. How was it? Not as good as the mountain biking. <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's that time of year right uh, yeah. now. The mountain biking is better than the skiing. I, I'll just say it was fun to go up to Rose and be a part of the froth and, and feel everybody's excitement and energy. Yeah. Uh, but the, the skiing was a white ribbon of death. Yeah. And there was like, you know, the old guy who's stopping in the middle of the run and kids everywhere. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this is... There's too many people here. Oh, man. But it was fun. It was great to get, you know, dust off all the cobwebs and find all the gear and yeah, and get everything out. Now, uh, you don't take your hard boots and all that crap, do you? Or do you? I do not. I yeah, you've on, got I, like a resort set up. I am a soft, soft booter at resorts yeah. and a hard booter in the backcountry. Yep. I'm still transforming. Yeah. I, I haven't gone full hard boot yet. Yeah. Maybe I will one day, but no, I'm still riding soft boots at a resort. But yeah, I did it did my first day and then did a two sport day. We went to Rose and then two and Ben and I went down to the Highway Twenty corridor and got an awesome mountain bike ride in. Oh yeah, it was a ripping brown pow. Oh, the dirt is so good right now. Super I, good. I've been uh, I've been yeah. Florida man for the last week. <laughs> How was your Florida man escapade? Uh, you know, it was Florida. Um, it's about what I expected. Uh, let's just say I'm happy to be back and went for a, a welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Couldn't be back at a better time. Went for a uh, a two lapper on on Badenau Canyon Trail off Babbitt Peak yesterday um, with you, yeah. and that was freaking awesome. Welcome. What'd you think of that trail? It's rad and it's raw, <laughs> isn't it? Right, rad yeah, and raw. Kind of lives up to its name. Yeah, it's good. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a bummer that the top section still had some snow on it because I I ginger I. I Riding my mountain bike on slippery, snowy trail is not my forte. <laughs> I think I'm more comfortable. I would think I would have been more comfortable actually trying to snowboard down 
that that run with only four inches of snow, but <laughs> I made it down. And then the the lower bits, the lower half, I guess it was more. It was more than half. It was like two thirds, probably. But it was an absolutely just gorgeous, spectacular day. Oh yeah, I love this time of year with with the low sun angle and long shadows and that just sort of quality of light that you get post three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. In, in the, this time of year is just mat. It's really cool. It's magical to be outdoors. It is in the woods at that time. It was, it was a cool day. Yeah. Yeah. And so today, uh, we had the opportunity to sit down for a really awesome chat. We nerded out like major nerd out on weather. If you are a listener of this show and you like weather, you're going to love this episode. Everybody knows who BA is. BA. He's kind of like a Tahoe celebrity. He is a Tahoe celebrity. There was actually a news article in SF Gate that I that I uh, looked up and it says um Brian Allegretto, let me see here. It's like the the one man in Tahoe who can make the entire region freak out with one word. <laughs> Oh, no, here. The man who can send Tahoe into full panic mode with just one word, snowpocalypse. Yeah. When he says snowpocalypse, everybody flips because they know the pow's coming. I get excited. <laughs> that's I, that's one thing. It baffles me now with his forecasts and how much information there is out there that there's still people that don't know when we go into these huge cycles. Yeah. Like, how is someone not aware of the fact that we're going to get four feet of snow and a snowpocalypse is here. They're like, oh, I'm just going to come to Tahoe and not know. It's just the same reason why people rely on their GPS for everything and they can't like I guess so. look at a map and figure out where to go without relying on their phone to tell them where to go, you know? And it's probably the same, the same people who aren't aware of a giant storm coming are the same people who end up trying to take Hennis Pass yes. to Truckee when the I-80s close in a snowstorm and they end up dead in the forest <laughs> because their car got stuck in the snow. They really need to just subscribe <laughs> to Open Snow. That's Yes. And then they'll know. Oh, so that's That should be the tagline. Subscribe, subscribe to, to open, open snow, snow then you'll know and then you'll know that's good <laughs> yeah i mean and I, you won't be stuck in the snow then you <laughs> if you subscribe to open snow you'll know when to go when you subscribe to open snow i mean yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of jingle fun you could have with you that know when to go and when not to go yeah that's i don't know i i was I, like it was funny you mentioned that you at initially you were sort of bucked at like, Oh, I don't want to subscribe and give him twenty nine ninety nine. But then after hearing his story of like oh, oh yeah, he just poured his heart and soul into forecasting for years. Yeah. For ten he said two thousand ten he started forecasting. He those guys got open snow off the ground in two thousand eighteen. Yeah. So he did it for free, which I was a benefactor of. <laughs> I started reading that that blog early, Tao Weather Discussion very early. And then he, you know, the first time in many years, he never paid himself. So, you know, yeah. Subscribe, yeah. subscribe away. What's your, and I, you know, we didn't get to dive into it in the interview, but what's your kind of background with weather? Like what, when did you first kind of fall in love with, with weather? Uh, mine's kind of a weird one because I grew up on the shores of Lake Michigan. Yeah. And the store, there would be huge thunderstorms that would come across the lake. Yeah. And I was always just sort of enthralled by those and I would run outdoors and come greet them. And my mom's yelling at me to get back in the house. And I just wanted to feel that energy coming across the lake and see the thunder and lightning coming. And then for me, it it was eventually associated then 
right around that same age with, with surfing because I grew up surfing short period windswell in Lake Michigan, right in front of my house. Yeah. And the, there was, I really didn't have, there wasn't weather forecasting back then that I was a part of, you know, I think I started getting into surfing when I was like in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, right around then. And it was more of like a, just being tuned into my environment. Like, you know, I would go to bed at night and then the, the wind, the front would come through and the winds would kick up, especially in like August, September, October. And there would be these big wind events. And I knew then that next morning that there was going to be, I would want to go out and play in the water all day and go surfing. Mm -hmm. And so I would go to bed and just like listening to, I could hear, I could hear the lake. So where I grew up, I was blessed to be able to be right up, right above Lake Michigan. And I just, I don't know. I just like got really tuned into the weather patterns because it would equate to fun for me. Yeah. Like if the, if it was blowing all night, I knew I was going to wake up the next morning and I, I would hear that sound all night and then, you know, get my stuff together, have some breakfast and go surf for six hours mm-hmm. and try to catch a crappy wave in Lake Michigan. <laughs> but I loved it. That's so cool. that was kind of like, I, I got really tuned into weather that way. And then I guess later on, I got, it's fully infatuated with powder. Yeah. Powbot. And, uh, you know, without, without watching weather, you just don't know when it's going to snow and, and, and yeah. where to go and where to chase it. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I didn't get the chance to go into it too deep with him about how his forecasting has changed the game a little bit. But like, you know, when I first started chasing snow, you know, I, I would have, to, I didn't actually have television. So I, I used to go over to my then girlfriend's, but now wife's house in Telluride just to be able to watch the weather channel. But, uh, yeah. I really relied on, on friends that were in other locations in North America that would just call me. Yeah. And they like phone tree, the phone, powder tree. phone tree. Yeah. And yeah. it was just like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, Randy Evans or you know, some of my friends in, in the Wasatch and some of those old snowboard legends would just call me and be like, dude, get in your car. And I lived in Colorado for a bunch of years. So I would get the call and just be like, you know, be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Or friends from Jackson would call and be like, Hey, get in your car and get up here. And the, and the pow- the powder phone tree would get me to go places. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's funny how it's changed. And then, you know, then the internet came along and we all started going down that rabbit hole and looking at all the maps and models and everything. So that's, I, I guess that's kind of how I got into the snow forecasting thing. I just let, I don't know. I don't do my own forecasting. I just let them all do it. And then I think I mentioned it, mentioned it a little bit, but I really just look at the trends. Like what is the trend over the next week or two? Yeah. Like what do you, like when you read his forecast today, what's it telling you to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's telling me I'm going to go. Oh, back. right. Yeah. Like literally today. Yeah, like literally today. Oh, uh, literally today. Keep mountain biking. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's it. Like I read that yeah. forecast and I was like, okay, well, two things. One, I'm going to keep mountain biking. And two, I'm looking at maybe taking, I might go on a road trip to chase and pow post Thanksgiving because I can get my ducks in a row and get my life organized and go do that. Yeah. But like that's, I love the long range forecast, not for the inaccuracy or accuracy of it, but really just sort of what is the trend of it? Like right. what's it telling me to do? Like, in a week. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, pretty easy to figure out. It's, it's great because like for me, I'm, I don't mind a slow start as long as we have a good finish and I've got plenty of trail stuff I'd like to do. So if we don't get snow for a few more weeks, I'm yeah, okay keep, with it. Keep building trail, you know, keep enjoying this like long fall that we have going on because it's been all yeah. time for dirt and riding, but, um, the snow will come eventually, hopefully. Um, but yeah, this has been a, a, a fun episode. I think, 
I don't have much regrets in life. I, I think I've pretty much, you know, uh, done everything I've wanted to do. Um, but one thing that I think I maybe missed out on that I should have done uh, was the, and we mentioned it in the episode, was the TV weatherman thing or the weatherman thing. Like I had a meteorology minor in college and been obsessed with weather my whole life. And uh, I love it. And, you know, I think I should have focused on that more maybe and maybe just gone and worked at that TV station in Terre Haute, Indiana, you know, wearing a suit and being on TV talking about weather because I think I would have taken it somewhere. But it's okay. Mm. You know, I, I'm not, I don't have any regrets about, you know, what I've, decided to do instead but uh you, you can know. do it you can live your dream now bud i, I you know can just talk about I, weather on this podcast exactly and, and we're gonna exactly. put it on youtube now so yeah we're now finally powbot's got this really cool camera set up and uh you know we're gonna give this thing a try finally get ourselves on on the youtube here because you know we're missing out on discovering new listeners because i guess that's the number one way people find podcasts these days yeah, is on bring it. the old youtube so here we are yeah, you can beat that you just be the for you know weather forecaster for all the mountain bikers out there yeah exactly and I'll do it for all the skiers that's right <laughs> well actually brian 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 can do it yeah yeah so anyway um Anything else you want to add before we jump into this episode, this uh, interview with I don't Brian? I think so. It was just awesome to have him on the show. Like, yeah, total legend. Total. Like that, that you know, legend. it's it, it, he. He's an interesting character because like, there's so many people that have been reading him that we all feel like that we intimately know him and everything. But he's you know he tried to stay anonymous for a bunch of years as just yeah. BA. But uh, yeah, it's great to have him on, and you know, it was really cool to hear his insights on on some uh, of the patterns that's, that's happening and, and, uh, getting us all fired up for this winter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he is a legend and it's awesome that, you know, he's, I guess I, this, I haven't really gotten to know much about him cause he seems to keep a pretty low profile and not focus on himself and more focus on the weather. And yeah. He's dedicated job. to the weather. Yeah. And so it was great to get some more insight from him. Um, so without further ado, here is our interview with Brian Allegretto, also known as BA from Open Snow Tahoe. I hope you enjoy this uh, weather heavy podcast episode of Mind the Track. All right, we're here with Brian Allegretto, weather forecaster for Open Snow Tahoe. Brian, is that your, what is your title or what would you like if, if, if you were to, uh, if someone were to come up to you on the street and say, hey, BA, what do you do? What, what would you tell them? On the street, usually snow forecaster. Snow forecaster? Because that's what I'm honed in on just snow, mostly. Okay. Forecasting snow. We touch up on all weather. We'll talk about the rain and the sun, but I just say snow forecaster. Just makes most sense. And most of our forecasting is done in the winter and it's around snow. Uh, I got a lot of titles now at Open Snow, doing the analytics and podcasting and media and different things, but snow forecaster is the easy one to say. <laughs> you're just the wearer of all the hats pretty much it seems yeah we're still a small team so we wear a lot of hats and are you a part owner of open snow yeah i uh originally started at the very beginning in with joel and, and andrew okay and so the three of us were there when it launched and the three of us were each owners of the company in different percentage shares yeah. and uh with joel controlling interest and founder of the company and ceo now or, or always been the CEO. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so I actually sold um, a chunk of my shares 
back to Joel uh, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but I still have a minority ownership in the company. Um, I just like being invested in the company because I'm passionate about it and I want to be tied to our success, you know, for as long as we're doing this. What was the original idea for Open Snow? When was it founded and what was the, what was the purpose of being founded? It was almost, it was on, accidentally on purpose, I feel like. Um, Joel and I both had a business and weather background in our schooling. I was more heavy on the business side of it, where Joel was more heavy on the meteorology side of his background. And so we're both entrepreneurial-minded and love weather and love skiing and love snow. We both grew up outside of Philadelphia. He was on the north side. I was on the southeast side. And so we grew up in the same region, loving snow, living in an area where it hardly snows, skiing little tiny ski areas. And where'd, you, where'd you ski in? Because yeah, I grew up in your Pittsburgh. Home resort? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you ski in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Uh, mostly at like Camelback, Jack Frost, Big Boulder. Camelback. Yeah. That's where I first <laughs> skied. My first time ever skiing was at Camelback. In really? The, in the Poconos, dude. Yeah. And I was right actually on. a snowboard instructor up there for a season. Best job I ever had. I think I made six bucks an hour and I didn't, it was Camelback. still the best job I ever had. Heck yeah. <laughs> so funny. So you guys grew up together. We didn't know each other, no. Oh, you didn't know? No. But you grew up near each other. Not too far away. He's 45 minutes, about 45 okay. minutes one way from Philly, and I'm 45 minutes the other way. Okay. Growing up, he's one year younger than me. So we're almost on this kind of similar trajectory, yep. skiing these little Pocono Mountains, in love with the weather. Wait, and was, sp- was skiing your initial fascination with, with weather, or was it something else? No, it was the snow part it of it. It was snow. Because mm-hmm. mm. I grew up, and surfing was my sport. Skateboarding is what we did when there was no waves. And we didn't have access to the mountains. My parents weren't big skiers, so we didn't go on ski trips. So yeah. uh, getting my oldest friend in high school, got his license first. We all piled in the back of his old station wagon, and he drug us up to Camelback. And then this local surf shop started running, like, Thursdays. They'd run a trip up to Hunter Mountain, four hours each way. So you got to catch the bus at 4 in the morning. And so we cut school and go sit out there at 4 in the morning and catch this bus. It was like 50 bucks included your lift ticket up and back. And uh, so we'd be gone for the day and get back at like eight o'clock at night. And it was the best thing ever. And so I, but so Joel and I are both dreaming about like, hey, one day we want to go where it actually snows and where there's actual mountains. So he went to school for meteorology. He was at Penn State. Uh, I was going to Kane. And so then I ended up switching the business after a couple of years. And I wanted to work in the ski industry. And I was like, how am I going to use meteorology to work and live in the mountains and work in the ski industry? Um, Joel ends up going to grad school out in Boulder so he can get out to the Rockies. And so he goes out there and he starts um, studying a little bit more into the business side as well when he's getting his master's. So then he gets a job out of school uh, working for a company doing weather. And I get out of school and take a job in the ski industry, which was my dream. I got a job in with Booth Creek in Truckee, California, which is this huge cultural shift moving across the country right out of college right out of college right out of college yeah so i move over there when joel and i didn't know each other so we both start working at these jobs and um we're both forecasting for ourselves like chasing powder in love with snow like we were back on the east coast and people in our offices and our friends were like well, you're pretty good like you said it was going to snow next thursday and it did (laughs) snow next thursday you know (laughs) And you're specific about chasing it for your skiing, and I want to chase it for my skiing, and nobody was doing snow blogging really that much back then. So, what year was this? 2006. Okay. Six, okay. Yeah. So, and how many people were like sort of originally getting those? Like, the, you're, you said that you had 
it was really an, an email that you were blogging. Yeah, I was in a business office at Booth Creek. So they were more on the accounting and business decision side for all these ski areas. And I was just chit-chatting in at the coffee machine like, hey, you guys, what do you think about the storm next Friday? Like, I didn't see that in the forecast. I'm like, well, I'm seeing it. And so all of a sudden, like, my boss comes up to my desk like, hey, we're having a business meeting. Can you come in and just tell us what your thoughts were for next week's weather? I want you to tell these guys. And they're like, well, can you send that in an email? And then, like, all of a sudden, the whole office, and then upstairs, downstairs, and then the people at the ski resorts we run started hearing about it, and my friends. So I don't know. It must have been a couple hundred people. And Joel has a number. I can't remember what it was, but it was in the hundreds. Had, yeah. And then we're both, like, at the same time, still don't know each other. This email list is getting kind of long and cumbersome to keep adding people and subtracting people or whatever. So Blogspot was be, kind of becoming a thing. And I heard people talk about blogs, but I never read one. I didn't know what it, one was. It was just kind of this word I was starting to hear, like, oh, I'm on a blog, or I'm starting a blog, I'm reading this blog. Yeah. And so I went to blogspot.com. I'm like, oh, I can start a blog. And so the director of marketing for North Star came over, and she worked out of our building, and she was like, you should uh, take this little column you're doing on the blogspot, and we're going to connect it to the weather page at North Star and see what people think, because nobody has, had tried that yet in California ski areas. Like, nobody was connecting a weatherman blogging every morning to their weather page. Yeah, people just woke up and called called in the snow phone yeah like you remember or the watch days, the news or watch the news you remember the days of having to call like palisades had eric t yeah <laughs> this i remember eric, calling snow lines. eric t here with this with the squaw valley snow report and we're running these lifts and it snowed this much like that's that's kind of where it like, i'm old enough to remember there was no internet and so yeah. even for surfing which was our big sport when i was growing up in high school we called the surf shop Hey, is there any waves? Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause the guy would literally get on a skateboard, skate down a couple yep. blocks, look yep. the surf, come back and then answer the phone all morning and <laughs> yeah. tell everyone what the totally. size of the waves he saw. So one of my, one of my, the two, my two bookmarked websites at the beginning of you've got mail like that. The beginning of the beginning of dial up one website was mullets galore. Oh, I love mullets galore. Do you remember mullets galore? Dude, the skullet. Oh, yeah. They had all different kinds the, the of... The mini trucker mullet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was really... Mullets Unfortunately, com. it got taken off the internet, but there's there was somebody that started like an archive of all those random old websites, so you <laughs> can find classic. information. But I, I also started reading Howard Sheckler. Yeah. yeah the, Dwe- the Dweeb Report, yeah. and that was all the way back when I was living in Colorado. Okay. In Telluride. And I started reading Howard's blogs. Like it was maybe like late nineties. And I was extrapolating what he was saying for mammoth and then applying it to what would happen for me downstream. But like it's, there's such a void of information back in the day for people. And I started reading him. So I was chasing when when I got here, people said, check him out. So I checked him out. I was reading his stuff and same thing. I had to extrapolate, but I was able to learn a lot from what he was saying as mm-hmm. far as how, what patterns affected. I was going to ask you that. Did you learn a lot from reading his blog? Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, I, uh, did, I he, did too. We and actually learned a lot from you, but we ended but, up hiring him a few, oh. few seasons ago. He actually, for one season, uh, wrote the mammoth forecast because I was writing four forecasts every morning for all mm-hmm. over California, different zones. And I said to Joel, I was like, you want these forecasts out by 8am and writing four different ones for four different zones is like getting up at 2am. Like, I was, this is, this is too I was curious about that. So you write your forecast in the morning, not the night before. Right. Wow. So we get up early, four in the morning usually, and then we have them out by eight. And I'm writing three right now, and I was writing, writing like four or five. And I said, this is too much. So Joel reached out to Howard, and he was interested to come on for a season. And then we ended up hiring uh, Mike Karakin, who actually lives here in Reno. And he... He's the mammoth guy he's now. He's south, south, Southern California and mammoth. Okay. And uh, he's a master's student from UNR uh, Meteorology. 
uh, school. So he has a, he's young, but has a background as learning his way through the business now and forecasting for us. And he works cool. for DRI and, um, uh, yeah. So, but Howard, um, Mike was just down in Mammoth. He's a big hiker. He's bagging every peak in the Sierra. Like he's done a hundred and some peaks so far and he's going to do them all, but he spends a lot of time in Mammoth. And when he came back this week and said, Howard is, um, not doing well. He's getting I, sick. I, I heard that. Yeah. So that's going to be a huge loss yep. for the weather and ski community. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's, I think he's in his 70s now too. So mm-hmm. he's getting up there, but it's something that we could lose here in the next few years possibly. So now, and I'm starting to already feel old because I've been doing this for 17 seasons in Tahoe. And I'm like, man, my beard's turning gray. My <laughs> kids are teenagers. And I'm like, and now Howard's in his 70s. And I'm like, oh. What, what was the, your, your original blog called then? Original one was northstarsnow.blogspot.com. Okay. And then I did, I added Sierra Tahoe, and then people were clamoring for me to, to cover all the ski areas. So I did Tahoe weather, weather discussion in 2009. Okay, that's right. Three yeah. years later. And then I did that for a season 9, 10. And then I did it for 10, 11, which was a huge season. And my readership exploded. And that's when the phone rang, and Joel's like, hey. Mm. <laughs> Uh, that I'm was the hearing, connection. Yeah, he's like, I'm hearing about you um, from a lot of people in Colorado that moved here from Tahoe or go to Tahoe. It sounds like we're doing the same thing because he was writing ColoradoPowderForecast.com, and he was getting a big following. So we're on this still on the same trajectory. Interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. How many? How, did you know how many people were visiting your your blog yeah. back then in ten eleven, like on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. What, 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 what? Can you share those numbers? So ski season, let's say it's 150 days, and it was about over a million page wow. page views. So it was had to be whatever that division is. What, I, suck 10, at, I suck at math. 10,000 a day or something, yeah, right? So yeah. substantial. I mean, that's substantial for a guy who just like was talking about it at the coffee pot at the, at the office and... So yeah, somebody said throw it on a Blogspot yeah, account. Most people didn't even know what the hell a blog was. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's wild. And so we, it's part, partly or mostly a lot of it's hard work. But what do they say for success? Like the harder you hard work, work, the luckier but you there's get. Always a, there's also a little bit of luck. You luckier you get. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And so <laughs> I obviously director of marketing coming over and saying, hey, I'm going to connect you to Northstar's page. Like obviously my yeah. name got picked up, but I only use my initials because I didn't want anyone to know my name because I don't like that kind of notoriety kind of thing. Right. I'm pretty private. So I'm like, yeah, you seem like you've been pretty private. The B-A, whole time. B-A. And so nobody knew who I was. So that's why they had yeah. a com- contest at the local radio station to figure out who I was because it was three years of BA. And BA was never a nickname of mine. It was just my initials, but it became a nickname. Yeah, all I think of is, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of nicknames for you. My whole life, all, all I knew from BA was BA Baracus from the A team. That was right. that was yeah. BA until you came along. Yeah. And I'm like, no, the new BA man is the weather guy, the yeah. snow forecaster guy. So that was all about just not knowing, nobody knew who I was. And so that kind of got blown up. And uh, But yeah, so if Northstar hadn't connected me and I got those eyeballs, and then what I would do at the end of the season was they would close on April 15th. Well, it would still keep snowing until May, June. Yeah. And so they never said a word about it, but I put right at the last blog, I put, hey, thanks for a great season. By the way, if you want to see forecasts after the season and preseason next year, go to TahoeWeatherDiscussion.com. And that, that link just sat on their website, on their weather page for the next six months until I picked it back up. Mm-hmm. And then on Sierra's. And so it started funneling traffic to Tahoe yeah, Weather yeah, Discussion yeah. by 2010. 
and they didn't seem to care. And I'm like, cool. Like, so it was a little bit of luck because you can be a meteorologist and be like, I want to start a blog, but then building those original eyeballs is the hard part. Right. And so right. I got that little bit of luck by working for the ski resort management company that owned these ski resorts. Right. And then when did open snow come to life? So that was the 10, 11 season. Uh, Joel started reaching out to me. He had already started open snow. No, it was, oh. it was in development. With, so it was a partnership between the two of you that was the beginning of it. Right. So he originally was going to partner with Andrew. Andrew was building the site at the buy-in. It was Joel's idea. He bootstrapped some, I think his dad gave him a loan. <laughs> and, and then he, uh, we're, the, the company's always been kind of bootstrapped. We just put our own money in, but Andrew came in and bought his way in by building out the website. And he was uh, meteorology background also and had some coding background, um, web development background. And so he came in and uh, Joel and him, I forget exactly how they met, but they had met some sort of meteorology group in Boulder. And then they started working together on building this website in the 10-11 season. And so they were going to launch it in the fall of 2011. So Joel had been talking to me. 10-11 was my blog's exploding. And he's like, hey, you want to join us? And he's like, well, we don't really have any money to buy, you know, <laughs> talk about the discussion, but you can come join us and yeah. we'll give you, we'll buy you it with sweat equity and shares. And I'm like, uh, and my friends are like, don't do it. You could, you're doing your own thing. Just keep doing your own thing. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but I'm working a full-time job and I have starting to have kids and like, I don't have time to go chase advertising and to make this a real thing. Right. Like I was already starting yeah, to get bogged yeah. down because yeah. people were calling me in 10, 11 season, like real estate agents and small businesses in Truckee. And they were like, Hey, we want to put an ad in your site. I'm like, how do I do that? I don't even know how to code that well. I'm just using yeah. Blogspot. And so, um, I started a WordPress page and I started teaching myself how to do these little square one by one squares for yep. ads. And that was charging like 50 bucks a month for them. And so I don't want to deal with all that. I just wanted to ski and chase powder and then write about it in the morning. And I was like, this guy's telling me he's going to build the website. He's going to deal with the advertisers. I just have to write. And then I'm teaming up with them so it could grow way faster to three of us together. Meanwhile, that 10, 11 season before Joel offered that to me, I had already had the idea brewing in my head because of the success of Todd Weather Discussion. I had gone out and bought VermontWeatherDiscussion.com and like ColoradoWeatherDiscussion.com. I was starting to buy oh, these. Oh, dang, you're sitting on URLs now. And I, Yeah, I started buying them. And That's I said, a good business. I said, I could forecast Northeast. I grew up there. Yeah. So I was like, that third season, I was thinking about doing North Star, Sierra, Tahoe Weather Discussion, Vermont Weather Discussion. And then I actually had drawn up some plans for like a map of the United States and you would click that ski yeah. state and it would go to that block. And then, so when Joel came in, I was like, well, this is going to be a That's lot easier. I'm like, it's kind of what he's, they're doing. He's already building them with Andrew what my vision is. And so, and they're offering me to buy in as a partner with, I, not going to cost me anything, not going to cost them anything. I'm just going to bring my audience over and redirect link for the, for the 11, 12 season. Well, what happened in 11, 12? We went from one of the snowiest seasons ever, yeah, one yeah. of the driest. And so everyone came out and was like, Open snow is a curse ever since you went. <laughs> ever since you went. <laughs> they blame that switch. Yeah, like you went corporate. I'm like, corporate? It says Joel like, and Andrew. They're basically like barely getting by. And I joined them and I'm working two, three jobs. My wife's working nights and weekends. I'm like, we're not. Oh, that There's no corporate here. <laughs> oh my gosh. And we went into like a four year drought too. And that was so. the worst seasons for the next few years as open snow's coming off the ground and Tahoe's bone dry. Yeah, nothing. We, were, we, we had nothing. But I did learn during that dry spell that there was an initial dip in viewership when it's not going to snow for a couple weeks and then it goes back up. 
because people start getting desperate and your yeah. traffic will actually yeah. go up higher and higher the longer the dry spell grows. <laughs> yeah, they read all about the the uh, ridiculously resilient ridge. high pressure, the yeah. ridge. The, yeah, the yeah. RRR, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. long is it going to last? The triple R. And is that where you're, because you had a, every year, isn't it? your deal where like you grow your beard until there's like a three foot snowfall or something like Th- that. That was the drought thing I did. Yeah. What was that all about? And I did it 16, 17. I think I it was the first season I did it because we were coming off all those droughts. And I said, okay, it was just for fun because I would like having a beard and growing it out. Do you usually have a beard? Yeah. I usually grow out a beard in the winter. And yeah. so I was like, you know, I'm just going to go and I'm not going to shave it. I just told my friend, I'm not going to shave it until the snow's two feet in 24 hours. Just kind of like a playoff beard. Yeah. And I just started mentioning that on my blog and people loved it. So then we went into more dry seasons. So 16, 17, got a ton of snow, right? Right. right. And so I shaved it right away (laughs) and people are like, is it coming back? I'm like, no, it won't stop snowing. It's snowing two feet overnight. Like (laughs) every day, like every week. Yeah. So then in 17, 18, we went back into these dry spells for a few years. And so then it started to become a thing. Like my, I think the second season I was growing that beard all the way till February. It's down to your beard. Because we didn't get any snow till February of 18. And (laughs) so... My beer got really big and I started, that's the year uh, I started doing a ton of social media and I was doing live Instagram forecasts yeah, before the storms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this one opened snow, like we still didn't really have marketing budget. And so like, I'm trying to help grow the company and I'm so out there as much as I could um, getting on social media. And I had a big Facebook following, big Twitter following. And then I was building this Instagram following and doing live forecasting and anything I could to try to get clicks and views to send them back. Cause we were an advertising company still. And so clicks meant everything and getting eyeballs back to our page meant everything. And so I was doing all these things, but people saw my videos in the 17, season. My beard was getting longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm going to shave it when we get two feet in 24 hours. And then uh, it, everyone said, is a beard shaver storm coming? Is a beard shaver storm coming? And so like, so now that we have a big enough following, like where phrases start catching on, then we, right. people would blame Just- us for it. Like. It's a beard shaver. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the community you created is unique. And totally. Like, I, I will say that the original blog, the Tahoe Weather Discussion blog, like the old comments section was gold. Like, I used to go there just, I, I, I admit to being a lurker. Like, I, I would read your blog and then just, I would love living in that comment section. And I was bummed that it, that eventually went away. So we like, can release what, some secrets tonight. Like, why, why did that, why did that go away? Well, Okay, so I can tell you why I went away, and I can tell you that I'm sure a little, you a little moder- secret I'm, right I'm sure now. I'm moderate on this but... podcast. I can't post this on our website yet. Joel What's hasn't up? allowed it. Oh, like, break yeah, we're, gonna get, it. we're gonna get some hot yeah, news. We, we have a forum that's in testing phase that's almost done and ready to go for oh, this season. Oh my gosh, so good! Uh, it's an open. It's basically like it, kind of like an old school Twitter open snow version. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. basically, it's gonna be this forum, and it's almost like you're just posting tweets like the way they used to flow before all the videos and all that other stuff. Yeah. So. It's just going to be, and there's going to be all these different discussion forums, like, you know, backcountry or Tahoe, or there'll mm-hmm. be a specific one for each. So you can, there's going to be one that's going to be like the Tahoe Daily Snow Forum, and so you can comment on what I've written that day in that forum. So we're building out our own forum. Should I should I drive up eighty today? Yeah, we can drive an I eighty driving forum. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man! But, but the reason it went away, and the reason it's taking so long to launch the forum, and we didn't just do it right away, is because. The abuse side of it. Oh, yeah, sure. You have to moderate it. Like, I'm a huge... Do you, do you ever go to Beach Grit? Mm-mm. But so the couple of podcasters have... Uh, a, there's a great podcast called Beach Grit, uh, or they call it The Grit, but he has a website called Beach Grit, and it's all... It's a surf. It's a uh, surf podcast and a surf uh, site, and 
their comment section is just gold. And they, they actually have to have someone uh, whose name is Negatron as that's his tagline and then Megatron. Negatron, not Megatron, Negatron, but he, 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 he has to regulate it and, you know, and, and make sure that when bad things come in that he, you know, kicks it out or okay. bad people, it, it takes work. It does. We've been programming this but, bot with all these phrases to catch and that's what we're testing. And it's so much fun because you, I hate to say it, but you might actually need a person to moderate it, but well, then that's the thing. It, we didn't have enough people back then. We had such a small team, you know, it was four or five of us up until a few years ago. That's why we got rid of it. Like we can't yeah, keep up, wrong. and people were spamming yeah. it yeah. constantly, <laughs> and they're posting links to their own businesses. And then we have weather. Yeah, you can't have. We that, have people but... starting weather companies like ours and being like, "Here's a link to my page." Yeah, check out my forecast. Yeah, check out our think? forecast <laughs> site. It's just like Open Snows. We're like, <laughs> well, what are we doing? We're just advertising for free for all these other sites. So I, I recommend you to check out Beach Grits comment. Okay, yeah, just check out that website, and he, he, it's like voyeurism, surf journalism. He just writes these wildly funny stories and makes fun of professional surfers. And there's there's a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole bunch of humor in it. Yeah. But there's people from Australia. There's people from California. There's there all there's commenters from all around the world. And they have an incredible community that lives on that site. And it's freaking gold. Like, I, I'm excited for this. Yeah. I'll, it's cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So the testing phase has been so much fun because what we've been doing, what Evan and I basically have been doing, because Evan and I are more of the lighthearted clowns of the company. Like, we still have a scientific mind. But, like... A lot of people are like it's a very scientific company. It's all developers and meteorologists and scientists, you mm -hmm. know. And so Evan and I are kind of the class clowns of the company, where we're always the ones making jokes, and then looking at Joel to see how he react, just to make sure like we're not going to get in trouble or something, you know. So <laughs> maybe push that one too far. But so Evan and I had this like you know brilliant idea without even telling each other that like as soon as they launch the testing site for this new forum we're going to launch, Evan and I start making up all these fake profiles of like people that used to be famous in the comments of like the Colorado, Utah and Tahoe. Yeah. Yes. And so I made a music man profile and I started writing a poem about skiing and trolls and twirling my poles and all this stuff. Do you remember the music man guy? He used to write these yeah. poems about, and he, I mean, the guy was probably on acid as he wrote each of these posts, but he oh, became kind of famous. Remember. I do kind of remember that dude. So I tried to like imitate one of his posts and then I wrote, I did another profile and I started saying like, Hey, open snow, you guys suck really mean things people post over the years. But we're, what we're trying to do is a purpose behind it, though, is is our new bot that we've created to catch all the stuff we don't want on there, catching these phrases like you suck and, you know, curse words. Yep. And so we're in there cursing and like doing all these things that we like not HR worthy, like <laughs> <laughs> and just testing to see if it's catching all these things we don't want on the forum so we can keep it centered on where we want it, um, throwing out political things and just making sure all these little keywords are getting caught by the system. Um, and so Evan was made like a character of this guy that used to harass the crab out of Joel on his comment section. And he gets on there, he's like, hello, Joel, I'm back. And then, you know, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, is, there, is, mean, there a mar so is there in today's world of twitter and facebook and TikTok and instagram is there a market for the old school kind of forum that used to be kind of the social media yes. center of the internet for the longest time i don't know everyone like you guys said a few minutes ago is like hey that was gold those comments section and we're like people still complain they're gone and it keeps people engaged. The comments, we, uh, it doesn't I, make us any money. We're just putting it there because everyone's saying they want it. And then if they don't use it, it's like, oh, well, whoops. Like, So is it comments the, after your forecast or actual like a forum style? I'm not sure exactly. Probably the bottom of the, of the forecast, there'll be a link to the forum. Okay. But it's awesome. going to be its own site. It's a, it's okay. Gonna, and so it's going to be almost like its own site, like X Twitter. 
it's going to be on it. So you're going to link over to the open snow gotcha. forum. And yeah. it's going to kind of function like that where there's all these So kind of like TGR and, forums? Yeah. Yep. Kind of in different regions and yep. all that stuff? Yep. Okay. But it's going to be, I mean, the, the way that Sam's developed it, it's it flows really nicely. It looks like you're posting a tweet, like the way it flows down through and then you can comment on each person's post and you can post pictures and videos and yeah there'll okay be such, there'll be such good humor and humor oh, and right yeah. and stuff. but like, it, and then the bot good. is going to keep everyone from getting crazy and so joel's okay with it because we have this bot that's going to like make sure is that... it a, it's not going to be the, it's not the pow bot is it <laughs> that's what we should call it. dude the pow bot's going to be uh, all up in that forum. you know i i, I want to i'll start a forum that says is it going to be a shit show tomorrow in tahoe <laughs> yeah he's the shit show forecast i, wanted, he I, to I wanted to forecast the shit shows this winter like the, the days when it's like just just don't just go to the go to the independent resort or go backwards skiing or maybe go as long as you call or... sh at uh asterisk t you should be good but okay. yeah, yeah. Caught and erased by the bot but uh okay. but yeah that kind of stuff you know, it, as long I'll, as everyone's i'll call it a junk show yeah as long as everyone's you know staying within their lane it should it should be a lot of fun to get on there and because it, it, it potentially better than the comments because there's so many subjects and so easy to get into all these discussions. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited about it, but this is a secret for this podcast. Like we yeah, haven't cool. told anyone right. until right yeah, now that we're, this is coming up the road. So don't worry. It's coming. You heard it um, here first. Yeah. This is the first thing <laughs> that anybody's ever heard first on mind the track. So we're, yeah. we're coming up in the world a little, we're getting the we're doing legit scoop. media. We're getting Kurt. scoop here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, then, and we're, and I told you guys when I, we were talking earlier, we were also launching our first uh, ski film. So, Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. So I can't tell you too much yet because we want it to be a big surprise, but it's actually going to be more of a snowboard film, uh, which is surprising because uh, our CEO is a skier and most people are big skiers in the company. I'm a snowboarder. but um, So we had the guy actually works for us um, who, who, who is kind of like a – it's kind of a humorous documentary type thing around chasing powder and uh but just tracking one of our empl employees our seasonal forecasters as he goes oh, around and cool. travels and snowboards different places but we just is the first time we never we always just focused on forecasting and building the site better with more tools for chasing snow yeah and forecasting weather yeah we've never put a lot of money in the marketing and definitely never any money into like making a ski film so this is the first time we spent a little bit of money like hey let's pay someone to produce a ski film for us using our own content so that'll be fun it's super exciting it should be out in the next couple of weeks and then we could talk about it more later if we end up ever talking again about it but yeah it's cool. gonna be super fun so look for that too <laughs> heck yeah Psst. hey you yeah you across the garage the guy who never uses me i've been hanging in the rafters for years my top sheet's buried in dust my rails are rusty i haven't seen wax since i was new you're always grabbing that shiny new board next to me I want a new owner, man. You're lame. Am I hallucinating? No. This is your old split board speaking. I'm sorry, you're right. But I hate selling stuff online. Nothing but scammers or thieves will come by to the house, case the joint, and rob me. Well, maybe if you got robbed, I'd get a new home. There's a better way to buy, sell, and rent used outdoor gear. Sendy, a new peer-to-peer -peer online marketplace backed by Cam Zinc and Travis Rice. Built by athletes for athletes, Sendy is committed to providing the outdoor community with a high-quality hub for high-quality gear. Sendy provides a safe platform for buying, selling, and renting, making sketchy meetups with shady characters in seedy parking lots a thing of the past. Sendy uses integrated and discounted UPS rates, QR codes, and print-ready labels, shipping anywhere in the U.S., with Canada coming soon. 
Download the app today for free at the Apple Store, Google Play, or visit sendy.io. Buy it, sell it, rent it, and send it with Sendy, charter partner of Mind the Track. Now, back to the show. <laughs> well, let's dive into, we've gotten some good background on, on yeah, you let's, and let's where get you've nerdy. come through. You know, Tom and I are huge weather nerds. I grew up, it's funny, man, your trajectory was rather similar to mine growing up. So I grew up in Pittsburgh on the opposite side of Pennsylvania and I skied Seven Springs and Blue Knob and, you know, up in upstate New York. And I was obsessed with weather as a kid. I think the three most watched channels in my, in the house was Nickelodeon, MTV and the weather channel. And I, you know, watched the forecast every day and, then I ended up going to college in Indiana and was had a minor in meteorology. I was going to be a weatherman, TV weatherman. That was my, like my trajectory. And mm-hmm. then until I realized, wait a minute, I'm going to have to wear a suit every day and mm-hmm. be on in front of a screen in BFE Indiana, like Terre Haute, Indiana. I don't want to do that, man. So then I didn't. I I picked a different trajectory in life, but I've always kept weather. You know, it's, I've been obsessed with it my whole life. And so when I found open snow, um, you know, I was always reading like the NWS forecasts and then, you know, I found your, your, uh, it's not a blog. Is it, you call it a blog anymore? It's now basically a snow or snow forecast. Yeah. Right? I still call it a blog, but you still call it a blog. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just call it a blog. <laughs> so I found your blog. And I was like, man, this guy's pretty good. Like, he's pretty damn accurate. Like, I'll go out, you know, I'll read the NWS forecast. I'll read your forecast. Then I'll go out. And, you know, you, I mean, and I don't, and Tom and I debated this a little bit, but I feel like on the whole, you're way more accurate than the NWS forecast for this region. So case in point, just recent, just this this alleged this storm that's supposed to have been coming like but in the long range you know four or five days ago national weather service was saying feet of snow significant storm on the way and you called it you was like don't buy into the hype train i've seen this before this is probably what's going to happen and sure as rain dude <laughs> you were right and so my question to you is how do you how do you outperform nws on a seemingly regular basis so i try to figure that out for myself and they have actually offered me jobs when i was younger when i first started talk weather discussion yeah i remember the the director down there calling me up like hey what do you think about coming on interning for us and like coming to work for us and at the the reno office for anybody yeah oh wow and so i was like "Ah, i'm like i can there was a reason why i didn't go that route like i don't want to work the night shift uh Kind of like why I didn't want to be in Terre Haute. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, want to work exactly. shift work. And nothing against it, but I just, that wasn't what I right. saw for myself was working shift work yeah. on the overnight uh, in, a, in a cubicle in front of the computer all night. I right. wanted to be working in a ski area where I could go out and ski and work on the mountain and be in that culture um, and still somehow incorporate weather and storm chasing. For me, it was love of snow. Yeah. Uh, love of skiing and storm chasing over weather. Mm-hmm. And so, and hurricanes too. I mean, I just, Nor'easters, oh, hurricanes. I was a tornado chaser tornado, as a kid. Like oh, yeah. Any wild weather. I oh, hell yeah. But snow was my obsession. Yeah. So I try to think, yeah, because I don't know that I'm going to beat other forecasters on their forecast. And I don't always beat other forecasters. And you're not, are you trying to? You're not really trying not to, right? Trying you're just trying to be, to be as other, accurate as possible. I want to be, the, I am extremely hard on myself. You are. You and are so very hard on yourself. I do not yourself. like to be wrong. Uh, maybe a little bit of that. I mean, 
most of that is me being type A and hard on myself my whole yeah. life and with everything I do. Yeah. But a little bit of that is to do with the abuse I took. Because the reason I want to be BA and I'm a private person and I don't want to be criticized. I don't. I wasn't the kind of person that's like, hey, I'm going to be a rock star and go out stage and be criticized by everyone on social media. That's not me. So I don't want to throw myself to that kind of criticism. But then when Joel was like, all right, we're going to put our names on here and our pictures, you know, and then there's blogs that are trolling us. The comments are trolling us. Social media will start trolling you. And so you start getting mean emails, mean comments, mean, and you start taking it personal too. So it was like, oh, that that's really hurtful. Like I wasn't trying to ruin your ski vacation. I wasn't trying to overly <laughs> hype it. I mean, the big lie was like, we overstate snowfall because ski resorts will then advertise with us and we'll make more money. I'm like, that's the opposite inverse of how it works. Right. They advertise be because we have a lot of followers. We have a lot of followers because we're accurate. If right. we were wrong all the time, nobody would come to our site and we would right. get no advertising. Well, weatherman, being a weatherman is the only occupation where you can be wrong more than half the time and still have a job. <laughs> so anyway, but you're so, more, right way more yeah. than that. So anyway, I, I, I try to figure that out. And what I've come up with, the only thing I can come up with, uh, just from 17 years of experience now here in, locally, yeah, is like a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of guys who are on the forecast discussion using it as a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. So they're coming out of school, get a job at the National Weather Service, do the overnight and write the forecast discussion. And so when you're coming out of school, you don't have 15, 20 years experience living in the, in the Sierra, verifying every storm, watching every model run every single day. And from experience being like, okay, last time I saw that, this is what ended up happening and it threw every, everybody off. Um, they're coming out of school and then they're very heavily reliant on the models. Right. And and so right. I'm also really into blogs for weather and I read a lot of guys that are old and did do old school mm. forecasting before there was high modeling. tech computer yeah. modeling. And yeah. I read these wavelength theory, theories yeah. um, and I read, um, these pattern theories that they have and stratospheric temperature theories and ocean temperature theories. I'm like, these guys are trying to understand. These are the guys building the models. Yeah. These are the guys that were forecasting before there was models. And these are the guys who are also doing a little better than the models because they're like, this doesn't make sense. The model doesn't understand that the feedback issue here, it, it really struggles with this scenario. And so I'm like, I got to be like that for here. I can't just if I just spit out the model run, I'll be like your iPhone where the forecast changes every six hours, right, every right. time the model reruns. Right. Yeah. Sunny, snowy, sunny, snowy, sunny, snowy. And I'm like, I can't do that for my readers. So anyway, so I, I dabble in a lot of that, but a lot of it's theoretical. Um, and so a lot of forecasters just stick to fact, more factual. Like here's a computer model that says this. So I'm going with that. And if you say I was wrong, I blame it on the model. Right. I can't go down yeah. too many rabbit holes of theories because Weather is so complex. The atmosphere yeah, and fluid yeah. movement is so complex Volcanic that these directions. theories aren't, none <laughs> yeah. of these theories are perfect <laughs> and they're wrong sometimes. And then I can't just blame like, oh, I was reading this guy from Kansas that was blogging about this theory. This old guy used to yeah. read, man. It's his fault. <laughs> it's all his fault. They're going to be like, what kind of crack uh, pot are you, you know? Um, so anyway, I think there's some of that. Um, and because And because you... Just ha just very heavily reliant on let's stick to the model data. Let's try to make the models better and stick to the model data. Let's not s obscure and go down these other theoretical holes. And some of them I've been able to look at and compare it against Tahoe's weather and be like, okay, well, this theory kind of ties in. Like these things kind of happen. But also, I think a lot of times when you're when you're working for like a local weather office, you're working, you're 
eight, nine hour, 10 hour, however long shift, five days a week. And then you're like, oh gosh, like everyone else, it's the weekend. Yeah. Or like, I'm off for the next 12 hours. I'm going to go sleep. I'm going to go mow my lawn and go play with my kids and go do whatever. I'm snow and ski obsessed. So I am, before I was paid to, was working my butt off to write these forecasts for free from the obsession of it. So I'm looking right. at forecast models, hundreds of them, dozens of runs, four times a day as they come out, all ski season every single day. So I'm looking at thousands of model runs every season. And so when you're every single day for 17 years waking up and doing that 180 days out of the year, and you're running the models at 4 a.m. to 7 a.m., and you're going click, 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 and watching the models run, watching what happens for 17 years. This week is a good example. I see this trough dropping. I see it pinching off from the trough to the north. And then I'm like, the low is going to drop and spin up into the base of that jet stream screaming into Southern California, not Central California. It's going to suck the low pressure probably farther south down the coast and then shoot it inland to our south. I've seen that happen and blow the forecast, you know, 10 times over the last 17 years. Yeah. And so I'm just clicking through, click, 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 click. I'm like, oh, wait, back up, click, click, uh-oh, you know? And so and so the, I think it's just experience, too. Yeah. Of doing that every single day, and your eyes just start to catch things that the model's, like, still same, two feet of snow, but your eyes like, wait, this does not look right for two feet of snow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it happens on south winds all the time. Like, the, the Sacramento forecasters especially because... They do the zone up to Donner Summit. And so maybe down in Blue Canyon, they are going to get three feet of snow, but in top we're going to get zero. Because there's the south wind. There's no spillover. There's no wind to blow the south and north. To blow the moisture over the top of the mountains. Yeah. And so people are reading Sacramento and they're tweeting out, Sacramento, be careful driving to the Sierra. There's going to be four feet of snow in Blue Canyon. And Mm -hmm. then I'm like, well, I don't think there's going to be any. I think it's going to be sunny and trucky. Well, it's, you know, know, it's interesting because like in in the foothill regions of the Sierra Nevada, and I can, I can tell you for sure, like, um, if you're familiar with Highway 49, Downeyville, Sierra City, that part, like north of Tahoe, about an hour, there are some there are some zones um, like Allegheny Forest, and then going up towards Laporte. Those zones get an insane amount of snow. And what I notice on your forecasts is when I'm watching the the precip forecast totals, right north and west of Lake Tahoe by about 50 to 100 miles is where consistently the most precipitation falls and it's like in plumas county right on the plumas butte county line coming down into sierra county east of the or west of the crest do you notice that do you pay attention to that stuff or are you mostly paying attention to just what's going on like around tahoe no i'm looking at north to south from the cascades that are up by redding all the way into the northern sierra up where you're talking about down yeah. all the way down to the central sierra and mike is doing mammoth at the southern end of my zone in the southern california and him and I are chatting every morning on our uh, company chat line. And so we're like, wait, you see this? You see this? And so we see, we're always watching north, south, but doing it for a long time, you notice those little anomalies. And the thing I've noticed, and Joel's noticed too for the mountain regions and Evan, that we picked up on years ago, is that the higher resolution models, the models that are um, basically breaking the little grid boxes that the model's trying to forecast for down smaller and smaller kilometers you know, down to like a two kilometer little box yeah. versus like a 10, 15 kilometer box. So when it's a bigger box, a lower resolution, just like your TV, a lower resolution, bigger pixels, and it's more bl- blurry than the new ones. So um, it's trying to forecast over a bigger area. So in that 15 kilometer, 10 kilometer zone, that model's trying to forecast precipitation for 10,000 feet, 6,000 feet, 
you know, over a couple miles from, right. from west to east. Right. And so it could be doing from Donner Summit to east side of Truckee in a grid box, and it's trying to average that out and figure it out because it's it's forecasting a generality for the larger box. And so hmm. as they develop new models, they're trying to get lower and lower resolution to like the point where we have our own model where it's it's GPS specific from the you can get a different forecast for the bottom of the lift at Palisades, mid mountain, the top of that lift, and then it could be different over here at the top of this lift. Oh yeah. wow. So we're doing because we're we're pulling in model data from all kinds of high res uh, and low res models into our own proprietary model that we built a couple years ago. Um, so we actually don't what do just you, use model data. We build our own model. What do you, what do you call your model? Uh, Does it have a name? I don't know that it has a specific name to it. Um, the beard shaver. <laughs> so, the beard shaver. Speaking of all these models, like you know that I, I'm familiar with. There's the GFS. There's the North American model. There's a Canadian model. There's a Euro model. What am I? What, what, what else am I missing? Um, there's the Her model, the NAM, the Icon. The Icon's the German model. It's a German one. Okay. Um, yeah. And do you find that over the over seventeen years, or, or do you find trends that like some models on particular particular years will like pick up on sort of what's happening, and other ones won't? So or those so they're trying to go higher resolution, right? So they're trying to get smaller grid boxes. Okay. Like, and so what we've noticed is in each of these mountainous regions is they the higher resolution models way overdo precipitation amounts, or somewhat somewhat to weigh. <laughs> so like it'll show like 15 days out or 10 days out or how far out a, a, a even, day a, out. even a day or a two day out. out oh wow really so i don't wow. like to use the high resolution models for precipitation amounts i can use them for storm track is fine or whatever high and low pressure areas and stuff but when it comes to precipitation totals that you're multiplying by snow ratios based on the temperature it's so minute minute and so specific to actual snowfall and people get pissed if you forecast 10 inches and it snows six like <laughs> right. and that's such a small <laughs> yeah. variable yeah, so you yeah, got to be yeah. careful yeah. and what I've learned is not necessarily a specific model. People that have analyzed it say the European model historically has the best track record, but the GFS beats the European all the time. And the GFS huh. and European are the two that people and use. And GFS the, is used primarily in North America? or well, It's run by, by the United States, by it's North the America. US government. It's, it's the U.S. US government okay. model. Uh, model yeah. <clears throat> Got it. Um, global forecasting system. Gotcha. So, of course, that's we, the most accurate. we don't use the name. We, we always use a name in the United States. You know, we always use a name that's like global model where the canadians call it the right. canadian model like Europeans the, call it the European model. we don't call it the american model right. you're like the global model yeah, you know global model. forecasting system but anyway you guys need to have your <laughs> the osm open snow model well, I, call it the, I call it the open snow model but that that but you i there's no name that we're out there like telling people hey we have this model is called this and, and so we're not sharing with anyone's in-house and it's just what's tied to all our pinpoint forecasts now but anyway so we've just taken the model data and what we're doing is taking the models like you're saying the more accurate ones, we're weighting them heavier, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and we're pulling in, and we're not using some models because they're not that accurate. Trying trying to pull in the most accurate ones, and then tweaking our formulas constantly. We just updated again the snow liquid ratio model because whenever we have AR events, it's thrown off our snowfall forecast. Right, yeah. but they do really well on most storms. But then an, an AR comes in and it's messing up completely. So and this is happening in the Pacific Northwest and in Utah too. So we're like, how do we tweak this? And it, it, it's hard because you're in there going, okay, so what are the variables to tell our model to look for to uh, change the way it calculates the snow ratio? So in a normal storm at 32 degrees, we want it to say 10 inches of snow to every inch of liquid that's forecast. Mm-hmm. 
But if it's an AR event with high winds, it's gonna be lower. should we lower that to an eight to one or a seven to one? Right. And what event like is when the wind hits 60 miles an hour, mm-hmm. you know, and the precipitation rate is higher than one inch per hour. Are those the two variables when those two are triggered at the same time, which is an eight, what happened in an AR, then it triggers it to lower from 10 to seven. So it's like we're constantly fine tuning the snow model, which I don't think anyone in the world is doing that right now. They're so obsessed with skiing and snow that they're at their own, built their own model, which took us forever and a lot of money and build our own model and then sitting there as a bunch of science nerds that are skiing and going, how do we tweak this? No, look, like we forecast 10 inches and we got eight and everyone's mad. How do we make it 10 and be perfect? Yeah, but we don't, don't want to be wrong half the time. I don't think so. <laughs> One thing that like I've noticed with, with you is that you are really your own biggest critic and you're, and you're super hard on yourself. And I found myself reading your forecast and you have your, you know, your over under on every resort and like how accurate you were. And you're always like, you know, gauging how far, how on the money you are, or how over you are, or how over under you are. And it seems like you're hard on yourself when you're off. And I just say to myself, I'm like, dude, you're killing it. Like you're more accurate than any other forecast out there. Like if you're not dead on the money, I'm not going to be that jackass who sends you a, a, a nasty gram and say, you were three inches off, man. I went skiing today and you said it was going to be 10 and it was only six. It's like, these people clearly don't understand weather. And, and I think they're missing you know? something too, in the sense that like, I, I'm using your information more as like trends. Like, exactly. What, like, exactly. what am I going to be doing next week? Correct. Right. And like, I'm not, I'm not getting hung up on the, like the a few, details, a few, inch, a few yeah. inches here. I'm glad there. you well, do. I'm glad you do. Yeah, Cause I'm it makes you, you better, but, but I'm not going to be the one criticizing you when you were a little bit off because like, you're still way more accurate than anything else that's out there. It helps me keeping track of how far I'm off is helping me to fine tune how I've changed how I calculate snowfall every season for 17 years. Yeah. I'm always tweaking it a little bit more. And then what Joel had done is he sent out a questionnaire to all our seasonal forecasters and full-time forecasters and said, Hey, can you fill this in? Like, how do you calculate snowfall? What events cause you to change your ratios? All the things we're trying to teach our model. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually it's going to be AI. And we're going to be teaching our oh, AI, God, own no. AI oh, model, God. but, uh, but we got to first teach our own yeah. uh, model I've, in-house model right now. Like how to think like us, we're, we're based on our human experience as skiers and forecasters in those zones. What are we doing to tweak our forecast and make ourselves better? Yeah. And so that we can teach our computer that, and eventually our computer can teach the AI that, but the, um, but so that's helps me when I keep score. Also, I'm really upset cause I'm skiing. And I love snow and I'm not happy when it doesn't snow a lot. So I'm hard on myself mm-hmm. for my own personal reasons. And then some of it is defensive because I, there is a subconsciously a part of me that's still like PTSD from the years where I was abused heavily in the, in the first few years where yeah. it, it, we mm-hmm. were a subscription based site now. So if you're paying 30, $40 a year to, to abuse us, like, okay, but most people aren't wasting their money <laughs> yeah. just, to, just to pay us, just to abuse us. So, that's kind of gone away, but there's still a little bit of like, you know, you raise your hand and your dog dips his head. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, oh, I was wrong. Like, oh, like here it comes. Ah, it's it's for the just back. shake it off. And like, so, it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit, it's, so it's a, three parts, probably those three parts yeah. uh, with the smallest one being a reaction from the past of like, oh, I don't want to be wrong because people get really upset and they're really passionate. 
and I don't want to ruin someone's vacation. People drop like 15, 20 grand to come here for a three day weekend to stay at a hotel, go out to dinner and buy ski passes and lessons for their kids. And I say, oh it's going to snow gosh. and it rains. That's so it's not really my talk. fault, Dude. but I feel still feel horrible. It, it reminds me of, um, you're, are you a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David? Have you guys ever oh, watched yeah. that? Yeah. So yeah. did you see the episode with the weatherman where, you know, the weatherman for LA, wherever they live, he's also a golfer and Larry's a golfer, you know? And so the weatherman says, oh, on Wednesday, it's going to be rainy, you know, it's going to rain. So, you know, stay inside. And Larry had, uh, you know, tea time on Wednesday and he's like, well, I'm not going golfing. It's going to rain. So he ends up, you know, it's Wednesday and it's, a, it ends up being a beautiful day and he had canceled his tea time and he ended up going to the the country club to have lunch and sure as, sure as hell, the weatherman is teeing off and he's like, At his tea you time. said it was going to rain and you're here, you liar. And he just like <laughs> went all, and so I just laughed so hard because I mean, that's how people are with weathermen. They're like, you know, they think that you're right a hundred percent of the time and it's like, no, you the weather well in that case i think he probably <laughs> pulled that maneuver but like it's hard to get it right all the time every time like the weather like you said there's a quote i think i read the weather's gonna do what it's gonna do i was right? frustrated with the seasonal forecast this year because the way the ocean temperatures are we've never seen it and so, so let's talk about that yeah, for, okay for, yeah. for a minute and so the other day i was just like i'm not even gonna try seasonal forecasting this year i'll give up like it's too much of an anomaly and the, everyone I'm reading out there who've been doing this a lot longer than me are like confused. And so why do we even care? We're just trying to forecast a storm a week out anyway. Like why should I right. obsess yeah. and stress over the, what's going to happen this season? Um, do you feel that there's going to be a bunch of ARs since you mentioned, yeah, mentioned ARs? Yeah, I thought so. Like, but like, so when I take the indices, you know, the QBO, the PDO, El Nino, the ocean temperatures in the North Pacific, you know, and all the different circulations. And I compare that back against historic seasons with similar phases of those circulations and sea surface temperatures, it says that we're going to have a big year. Hmm. But there's other things because 1516 was a strong El Nino this time that year. Why did we not have a big year? And so what happened? We have to go back and say, whoa, you know, everyone was calling for a big year and it didn't happen. What happened? And so there's a lot more that controls weather in the short range that can, you know, change what should happen overall for the season in the weather pattern mm -hmm. and it can completely change the outcome of the season yeah um things downstream of us too i've always looked in the atlantic like the big like the atlantic and the, the greenland right. the greenland situation because i didn't really see us getting us. i knew we we're gonna have a cold season last year and i figured we'd get some big cold i call them uh, powder machines when they get those cold low pressures tracking just down the coast yeah. just close enough to pull in pacific moisture yeah but, but cold old, enough to alaska low or whatever. to get high snow rate like last year the reason we had so much snow wasn't because we had insane amount of precipitation it was cold yeah. the, it, it was, was so yeah. cold and yeah. the snow ratios cold. were so much higher than higher than it's, it's the highest snow ratios for the season as a right. whole since 1952 right right and so yeah it was, and it was the coldest winter since 1952 yeah and the coldest and snowiest but because it was cold, it was that snowy. Right. It wasn't that snowy because we got the record amount of moisture. And the anomaly, the, the variance mm. between total precipitation compared to average versus total snowfall compared to average, that variance was the biggest variance on record. So, mm. well, since 1970, since I've been tracking it. So it, 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 if we didn't have the cold air, we would not have had a record season. Be and for so snowfall yeah and i'm i can try to remember the numbers out of my head because i didn't look at them before i came here and it's been we just got done summer <laughs> so i haven't looked at them since last season but 
if we were normally averaging, I think like as a whole, including rain and rain snow mixes at the snow lab, which is close to 7,000 feet, we average like for the whole season, like seven to eight to one ratio precipitation to snowfall because mm-hmm. some of that's rain. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the most storms are 10 to 11 to 12 to one. Right. And then you throw in the rain, you throw in the mixes and the low, the warm storms. And it's like seven, let's say it's seven to one for the whole season, right? For seven inches of snow for every inch of liquid we got that season. Last season, it was like double. It was like 15 to one for wow. the season. So without that, wow. if you would put it at seven to one with the amount of precipitation we had last year, it wasn't a record season. So yeah, we would have been at like 500 inches at the resorts or something, right? Yeah. I've been like 450, 500, not seven right. to 800. Right. And so it was just so darn cold. So I didn't, I knew it was going to be cold like that. That I knew the storms would be cold, high snow ratio storms. I did not see those storms tracking that far off the coast, pulling in that much moisture and then never stopping, never seeing high pressure outside of one week in the beginning of January. And it was just nonstop storms. We never had a break. Nobody forecast that except there was one forecaster who works for us that was the closest of everyone that I saw. And he was using the Atlantic, the the patterns of the Atlantic. And you think, man, it's so far down east of us. It's not really upstream of us. It affects And it's so far downstream of us. How to, but it can back the pattern up across the US. And so... And they had a dry, they, the New England had a terrible Record warm season. and dry year. It was yeah. terrible. So yeah. I never looked at the Atlantic patterns and I still haven't put it in my calculator because I never had to, but I forecasted a slightly above average season last year. I was thinking I was saying like 105 to 110% in that range or 100 to 110. So I thought it might be like average to slightly above. That was the, what the anomalies and, and, uh, that's the anomalies. The analogs were saying, comparing to past seasons. Mm-hmm. And so when I do that again this year, it shows a big season. Well, last season I was wrong because of the, and I think it was because of the, a lot of it was because of the Atlantic. And then in 15, 16, we were wrong, I think because of the temperatures over the North Pacific and then how the El Nino warm moved back towards the Central Pacific and wasn't next to South America by the time we got to the heart of the winter. And so... But <laughs> like, how, how, does, how do I, that's a theory, right? Cause we'd only, yeah, yeah. how many winners in the last, we've only been keeping like accurate records for, for 50 years. It's 50 years. In 50 years, we've only had three, you know, maybe each year it's like three or four years out of 50 that have had similar conditions. And the last time was 15 years ago. And so it's like, how do you say just based on that set of three or four out of 50 that you can now forecast what's going to happen this season? It's. Not enough data sets. Well, is there anything that you can learn from like the 82, 83 winter or the 96, 97 winter that were big El Nino winners? And the 82, 83 was like a back-to-back. Two winners in a row were huge. Is there anything that you can like identify that's in common or similar? When Mike and I really pull this apart now together... And, and he's really getting into it. He's like super excited. He's, he just been out of grad school for a few years. So he's like, this, he's like so new to all this. He's so yeah. excited. And he grew up like in high school, in grade school, high school. Like he started reading Open Snow. This is how old I'm getting now and how old Open Snow is getting. <laughs> We're kids that like your apprentice, us, your apprentice grew up with. Yeah, you. they grew up reading us as like in high school. And then they decided to go to meteorology school because they loved what oh, yeah. we did. And now that's, awesome. that's cool. Now he graduated with his master's and he works for us and he's like ecstatic. So anyway, so he's digging into this data that I've been collecting since he was in high school. And we're looking through it and he's like, man, I'm, I'm just, he, he's finding things that I didn't see yet. But what I've noticed is the variable that seems to push the seasons over the top a little bit. He'll say it's the QBO, the, the, the circulation over the central North Pacific, whether it's in this easterly or westerly phase. I think it's more, that could be a part of it, but that can also be affected by the ocean temperatures, the rising and sinking air over colder and warmer water. And when there is colder than average water, off the west coast near the coast 
tends to push us towards, and Dr. Howard has said this before too, and, and I've noticed it be true most of the time when I go back and compare and watch what happens. It causes more troughs and more cold air, more storms. In California, it kind of tilts us to the higher end of the storms and snowfall with the cold water there. And then when the warm water's there, we get drier. And the RRR years you're talking about was one that also had that warm pool of water just parked off the coast for three seasons. Between South America and California? Just off the coast. Just, Cal- well, just off the coast, coast here. Off yeah. the coast of the Pacific Northwest, off of California and the Pacific Northwest. And so people were like, is it the chicken or the egg? Is the high pressure causing the warm water? Or is the warm water causing the high pressure? Well, when I go back and look, when it's cold water there, we get more storms. And when there's warm water, we get more high pressure and less storms. So I feel like the water... But don't we have a cold pocket of water right now between South America where the water's really warm mm-hmm, and we where we are here? Yeah, off like just south of the Baja there. Yeah. And so that's different than 1516. Um, and we were having a cold pool forming off the West Coast because during 1516, we had a warm water off the coast, which what I always think leans us a little bit towards the drier side. And then we had the El Nino become a Motokai where it's centered. So it's not feeding the circulation that's feeding the jet stream north of the equator from that rising air. So... Um, which strengthens the jet stream, stream on the southern end in, in uh, El Nino seasons. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's not feeding all the way through into the southern United States, if that's only feeding out south of Hawaii mm-hmm. and not all the way across because um, the warm water got colder that off the coast. seems to be what, kind of what's happening It kind now. of like, and it's so, that is forecast to happen this season uh, and the water's getting warmer off the coast and colder north of Hawaii. And so I'm really into the whole sinking, rising air theories. Um Mm-hmm. Over cold water, mm-hmm. uh, seeing the seeing the air rise over the warmer water and the warmer air rising, and then moving over the colder air, uh, water. So then it starts sinking, yeah. right, and causing higher pressure. So um, and so when the United States landmass, which holds cold air more because the ocean isn't affecting and warming, because ocean water only warms or cools a few degrees, right? You know, during the seasons, it's, it's not it's not town. like the air that goes up. <clears throat> Negative, can, can, negative 60 degrees in Montana, and then it's, well, it's 90 in Florida. So over the landmass, it can be a lot colder, and it can change a lot faster. So when it's getting Arctic air moving down into the western United States from Canada, not being modified by the ocean, but the ocean's really warm off the coast, and you're having more of that sinking, I always, it seems to put high pressure that just sits more often than not over California and Nevada blocks the storage, makes them go up and around into the eastern side of the Rockies and into the central U.S. From what I've personally seen, you know, but these are all theoretical things, right, that people fight about in the, in the weather world. So, um, and then when we have the colder water, so then it, it in the warmer water north of Hawaii, it kind of does that farther west, allows more troughs to come farther west into the west coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I don't like that I'm seeing all the warm water warming off the coast right now and getting colder off Hawaii kind of would, and then the, the Motokai El Nino kind of pushing us more towards a pattern that trends more towards 15, 16, where I'm like, oh, is the storm track going to get bumped north of us this winter like it's been so far this fall? Hmm. Um, they're getting ARs though, right? And they're getting slammed with so ARs. Did- yeah, in 1617 we had a lot of ARs, but yeah, and then usually in El Nino seasons you'll get more moisture streaming up. But do you get seasons where AR, like the way I, I mean, I and I'm, could be totally wrong but like if early in the season like right now the pacific northwest is getting ars as the season progresses do ar ar slowly move south the jet stream sh- will shift south because the jet stream is an interaction of warm and cold air so as the yeah. arc, as the days get shorter and the arctic gets colder and that cold air is sinking which is heavier sinking farther south that battle line between 
cold and warm air air rising north from the from the equator and dropping south from the north from the from the arctic Mm -hmm. that boundary line lowers through the winter and then makes the jet stream stronger because the clashes there's more of that difference so and then the rotation of the earth causes the jet stream to go west to east so that interaction yeah it lowers farther south so it's it's california's wet season is in december to february because it's the jet streams then in March and in April starts point. starts the weekend and rise back up. Right. So you're right, but if high pressure's there, it blocks it. And those yeah, the storm track can just go up and over. Yeah. So do you feel like there's a the frequency of ARs has it has increased, mm, or not like historically or not? Not that I've noticed. I feel statistically, like factually, non theoretically, the swing from dry to wet years, like really wet, really snowy years, like last year in sixteen seventeen. Yep. And then really dry years, like 11, 12 through 13, 14, and then 17, 18, 18, 19. And then yeah. going into really wet, the swing has been... So if you look at like a, a yeah. snowfall graph, yeah, it used to go up and down, but right. now it's going way up, way down, way yeah. up, way so down. I have, a, I have a friend who's an underwater mapper, and he's he's super scientific and into this stuff. And he he has been looking at the data set from the water levels of the Lake of Tahoe, mm-hmm. which goes back a little bit longer. Like they have a, I think a, it's longer than, you know, they a, a data set that's longer than 50 years. And one thing he mentioned to me about, about all that is that the wavelength used to be about a 25 year cycle Okay, and it would go, you know, it would go up and then, you know, there was variations on, on the upside and the downside, but it was like almost a 20 year cycle. And he said that within the last 50 years that that cycle has been shrinking okay. and getting down to like almost a five year cycle. And there's some theories that are saying that it's even going to, it just keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Huh. Like, like, okay. the, like the big variability in our, in our global patterns is creating like, you know, the extremes and that yeah. extreme is creating the wavelength of that getting well, shorter. Yeah. Weather patterns have changed for do you, and forever. Do you, do you see that uh, in your forecasting for 17 years of it? I can't, I don't have a data set that's like, yeah, there's this many more ARs. Uh, hmm. So I'm just, you know, I don't have a theory on that. Yep. I'm not a climatologist either. Weather, weather is a study of weather in short range. So it's two weeks out. Yep. Climate, we kind of keep an eye on like stuff like you're saying, the trends over the seasons and what could be happening, not climate change. We kind of stay away from that because we're not climatologists and it gets to people, many people yeah, arguing, I mean, but what you're saying is important for our, for our, what we're thinking is going to happen for the season. So we definitely are looking at those kind of trends. Um, more water vapor holds more heat. You know, the earth's been warming factually, you know, yep. measure the temperature, no matter what your theory is. <laughs> if you look at the collection of the temperatures and they're going up slightly, like it's warming and it, that would more water vapor would, would trap the heat into the atmosphere and would, would help with that warming. So there's more water vapor available for mm. <laughs> for the storms. Yeah, that gets into it Kurt's theory about <laughs> Yeah, so let's <laughs> talk about some. <laughs> do you know any volcanologists, by the way? No, I just <laughs> I, mean, I do know weathermen who study the sun and the volcanoes <clears throat> and the underwater volcanoes, and I read some of their stuff. And um, do you think? I mean, Honga Tonga. My my theory holds any water, or is it complete BS? And I'm talking out. Volcanoes can definitely affect the weather, but from what I've read so far about Honga Tonga, is that it didn't eject as much particles to block the sun as other big eruptions. So, like, usually the biggest effect is cooling of the Earth's temperatures. Right, but what about water vapor though? It ejected an insane amount of water vapor into the atmosphere, which has caused this (laughs) dramatic warming over the last 24 months that we've seen. Yeah, and it, and so does um, that the volcano ejects water vapor, and so does um, oh gosh, when you're saying that, I lost my that's right. my thought on it. But yes, there's other things that can eject 
uh, extra water vapor, which is trapping a lot of that that heat. Those volcanoes also emit a lot of CO two. Not to go down that rabbit hole, but um, we, yeah. we could we could all switch to electric cars for a couple of years, and then one of those volcanoes goes off and erases what we just did. Well, I just, they just spew an immense amount of of yeah. gases and water vapor and CO two and all kinds of particles, toxic stuff, stuff that blocks the sun. And the th- the reason why I bring up the the Hunga Tonga thing is because if you look at the winter of eighty two eighty three here. And I was it. I think it was the winter of eighty one, eighty two. Also, both those winters back to back were huge. Nineteen eighty, Mount St. Helens erupted, and then in nineteen ninety one, Mount Pinatubo erupted, which caused all kinds of crazy um, weather phenomenon, including the the last hurricane that ever made landfall in Maine mm-hmm. until this summer. And so when you see things like that, for me, I just pick up like you do, you, you're a, a student of weather and studying patterns and, and, and looking at trends and things that happened in the past and then saying, how does that apply in, you know, modern situations? Like, are we seeing, you know, those things again? And, and nature always has cycles and repeats itself. And right. And so like, when I see a mat, the biggest explosion in recorded history that happened under an ocean and just put like a hundred Hiroshima bombs into the atmosphere. What, what effect does that have on global weather? And when you see things are like, we've never seen, right? Like the hurricane that made landfall in yeah, San Diego. The one, the, the, how about the hurricane? Just, just, yeah, hit, I was listening to you guys the talk dramatic about that last warning week. in Acapulco, like all these things hurricane. that are just, yeah. And happening. the warm water off the coast near the El Nino uh along the equator too could have helped a little bit but um and then the right atmospheric conditions for, sure for a, for a hurricane wind patterns and uh yeah know. i was gonna ask you that it like it seems that some of the lows that like some of the lows that hit us last year and some of the lows in 1617 were extremely powerful lows that came out of the gulf of alaska yeah like you know the the pressure gradients of those things were basically winter hurricanes yeah and i, I feel like we're seeing more of those yeah i don't I'm, I'm, I can only just theorize with you guys. Yeah. And, so I don't want anyone to like listen to this and like quote yeah. oh, yeah. me well, and like, you yeah, know, it's, it's all it's theoretical because the, there's theory, guys yeah. a lot smarter than us or not maybe smarter, but experienced and educated than us in climatology and meteorology yeah. who can't figure this out yet. That's why we can't get a, we have a forecast model to forecast snow accurately out more than four or five days. So there's volcanoes under the ocean. That's what you're talking about. Too. Yeah. And so there's some meteorologists that are looking at the ring of fire in the Pacific and saying that, you know, it's very active right now, and that could be warming the water underneath, and warmer than average seawater can emit more uh, CO2 and water vapor, you know, which could be contributing as well to global temperatures continuing to warm. So, right. um, but what one of the weird things that kind of makes what they're saying have some merit is that usually, like, you'll see some warming, especially during the summer in the North Pacific, and then once the storms get going and the winds are blowing across from west to east across with the storms and the water's getting warmer off the Pacific Northwest in the last couple of weeks, and it's like... So the water, the warm water is deeper. Like, the air can only warm the, the top of the surface of the water. It can't warm very deep. Right. So if you... Most people listening, like, you go swimming in a lake in the summer, the top is warm, and then you could you dive down a few feet and it gives you a brain freeze. Right. Because the air, summer air temperature can't warm all the way to the bottom or it takes a long time. So how is there's the water, warmer water in the ocean going so far down? Um, it can't just be from the air. So their theory is it's the volcanoes, the volcanoes. are okay. helping. And then it's blowing that warmer water that goes deeper from west to east with the storms. And that's why it's blowing warm water all over the, in the North Pacific. So 
it's one thing to have an El Nino like we have right now, which is warmer along the equator, but usually have it's cooler to the north and there's big cold pockets and warm pockets in the North Pacific. You look at a map right now, the whole North Pacific almost is warm above right, average. Right. So right. they're just like, why is there so much warm water and it goes right. so deep? So maybe, you know, Honga Tonga and other volcanoes, which would add to water vapor, but who nobody knows like who was here the last time this happened a thousand or a million years ago. Right. Like, yeah, right. we don't know. We, what, how does that change the weather? We only our models only know what was input by scientists based on what they've observed over the last 50 years, like not right. what they observed 2000 years ago. So yeah. we're looking at the outer three rings of a, of a, of the uh, Sherman, you know, uh, Sequoia tree. Yeah. So how do we know yeah. how to forecast the weather right. for next week for a snowstorm based on what's happening? And so all we can do is just try to guess based on histor- historical patterns but then say this looks different than anything we've seen and then be like, oh, maybe it'll do the same thing yeah. as those historical averages. But since this is kind of a new thing, it could go the complete opposite way. And that's kind of why I raised the white flag this week. and was like, I'm not even going to touch the you seasonal know. stuff this year. Like, So is this the first time <laughs> you've decided to not do seasonal because you just don't mm-hmm. know really what's going to happen based on all the yeah. craziness that's been going on with weather patterns and stuff this year? I mean, my analog year? says big season and I'm like, I'm scared to say that because of 1516. I wasn't saying it in 1516, yeah, but I was thinking that it might not be because of the warm pool that the RRR was preceding fifth, that 1516 El Nino. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's still there. And just because it's a strong El Nino, I don't trust that ridge that's been parked over that warm water for three seasons. And then the storm track was hitting the Pacific Northwest that winter. Tahoe was on the northern side of the Sierra. Mammoth and South is more the southern half of California. And so El Nino correlates more with above average Mammoth South. And Correct. La Nina yeah. is yeah. the Cascades. Right. Well, right. the Northern Sierra is in between the two. We could get, yeah. <laughs> so because I've edge. seen like yeah. big <laughs> snow years during El Nino. I've seen no snow years during yeah. El Nino. And then the and then the same with La Nina. We're kind of in that intermediate zone where we could get skunked or we could get slammed. And we lean slightly higher snowfall in La Nina. And most people right. that live in California think La Nina is dry. Right. But the Northern Sierra leans slightly higher in snowfall La Nina. And totally. I, part of that is the cold air. Yeah. And, and specifically, because we have below average uh, precipitation seasons with above average snowfall because of the higher snow ratio in the cold La Nina storms. Right. Um, so there's the weird little mm. anomalies like that that can happen as well. So so I'm not a complete crackpot with my Hunga Tonga theory. No. The, Just a half crackpot. I read meteorologists in their private blogs and forums and stuff. They talk about Hunga Tonga and the, and the, the Ring of Fire and mm-hmm. all the other things that can cause extra water vapor. Like They want to know too. They don't want to be wrong. They want to know how yeah. all this stuff happening globally with temperatures and water vapor and volcanoes could affect the forecast because they don't want it to mess up their computer models they're trying to fine tune. Um, but I always describe it like, so if you have a globe, remember back in school, you had that cardboard blue globe of the world and you just go up to spin it and spin it, it real yeah. fast, you yeah, know, yeah. see how fast you could spin it. Well, so if you were to take that globe and then you were to add glass around it about like a half an inch outside of it, so there was a hollow area around it, and then fill that with water and gold glitter and then spin that globe as mm. fast as you can, right? Mm. So all that water just starts spinning around yeah. the globe and then trying to, and then the glitter this which will end up being probably in these like stri- strands consider those like cold fronts or moisture or, or storms yeah 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 and then that thing's just spinning real fast and you're like that strand of gold is going to go from Japan and it's going to hit southern california wait no it's going to hit washington no it's going to hit oregon like that's what we're trying to do the atmosphere and right. the weather <laughs> is in the clouds and all the weather that's happening 
our atmosphere is just water vapor and it's just all of this moisture that's just spinning around this globe is spinning super fast and we're sitting here on this huge globe so when you back out that's spinning like that that's i mean it's a good analogy for how weather is and then you wonder why these guys hmm. are so smart they've been studying weather for all these years all these scientists can't get a model to forecast right a week out it's that complex and so when people get mad if you miss a forecast for palisades and you say it's going to snow a foot and it snows three inches the storm hit you know mount shasta okay so you look on a map of northern california mount shasta looks really far from tahoe and so you're like man how can you mess that up you, you it hit there but it didn't make it to tahoe you suck now you back out to that globe yeah and you're spinning that globe right it came okay. in it just okay. came in a little north so that distance between mount shasta and tahoe is a pencil drop right and those storms spinning around the globe, and you're trying to nail the forecast for that pencil, where so, the pencil hits on California, from the, that thing coming flying around the spinning globe and spinning up, you know, with the rising and sinking air and these fronts forming and these vorticities spinning in the troughs, and you're just trying to guess where they're going to go and how much precipitation. And then you throw in the factor of the mountains, yeah. and mountains create lift, just like rising air creates lift. Like when warm air is rising, right? And that's creating lift. And the cold air sucking in the bottom, it's causing low pressure and it's causing storms. But like mountains create, they, they create the same effect that cold and warm air do. So the storm comes in, the mountain forces the air to rise. You don't need warm air to rise on the right. mountain. You just need the air to blow across the mountain. It forces it up like, right. like rising air would do. And that's why sometimes it rains and snows over the mountains, but it's sunny in Sac, sunny in Reno. So. I, I find it interesting that like math mathematics has become kind of the standard for which weather is forecasted these days and you know these are like a lot of meteorologists or or climatologists they're like crazy math whizzes right like they went to school for for advanced math computation or whatever because that's what all the models are just numbers based it's math but it's statistics it's statistics and stuff but like i feel like there's still like you're saying like understanding patterns understanding the way things move there's fluid dynamics there's all these things that i think go beyond just numbers and mathematics and like i i look at like the national weather service and their forecasting that's mathematics based but then i look at your forecasting that's observationally based by just experience and studying models and studying history and other people who've been doing it before you and looking upstream and downstream yeah being like well there's this ridge anchored over the northeast there's no way that trough's going to exit that fast and you know right. or that ridge is going to move off of us that fast and allow storms in it's going to hit the back of that and fall apart i don't it's like nope no way it takes two storms to to get to break to that break cycle. it to, to break, break it, it down. down it just yeah, doesn't yeah, disappear yeah. overnight so a yeah. strong storm will hit it weaken we'll get like a few inches not a few feet the, that clears the way for the next storm to boom hit with three feet right and so i don't care if the model's saying three feet there's no way i'm going to believe it unless it's consistently every model for many days right up to before the storm hits and then i'll be like oh, okay <laughs> so there's still art what i loved what what my takeaway from all of this and it's heartening to hear is that there's still art in this weather forecasting mm. profession the computer isn't going to replace you because there are things unless you teach the computer and then the t computer teaches the bot and then we're all well a, a super ai <laughs> might be smarter than us yeah no I, I think which so. i'm hoping because I'm, i think it's going to cure a lot of incurable <clears throat> diseases so i'm that part i'm excited about but and i'm not excited i'm not generally not i'd rather just have you do in your forecast i don't want to read a weather blog from ai and that's why i use averages all the time too and i i do see weather servers trying to do that more with statistical models they're like it's an 10% chance of a foot of snow, 
here and a 50% chance over two feet. And you know, they, they kind of do this whole statistical thing now, yeah. which kind of tries to erase some of that like swings. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm reading as much as I can get my hands on anyone who's writing blogs, uh, th- writing out theories. These meteorologists are putting out these theories that have been doing 30, 40, 50 years of meteorology in the West, especially West Coast or the U.S. And they're writing these theories of like, hey, yeah, I went to meteorology school and I use the models as well. But using my experience and here's some theories I could come up with that haven't been fully accepted by especially by the science community and they're not being taught in college. But here's some theories I've applied that work seem to work well. And then I'm taking those and applying them against the California winter season weather and seeing if they how I can use them or if they apply. Yeah. And I found ones that seem to really apply well over the last 17 seasons. And so, yeah, so I'm adding my experience plus these theories that seem to work and not using the ones that don't seem to work and mixing them in with the models and then using averages as well. And the combination of all that is what I use. I don't know that people can say I'm more accurate sometimes than other people, but that's, I'm just doing me. I'm not trying to be more accurate than anyone else. I'm just doing me trying to be my best and not be wrong. <laughs> And using as many tools as I can grab my hands on uh, to, to to do it, and so it's yeah, a, it's a lot of fun. Well, you're you're like you're the man. Like I, I got yeah, you do an amazing job. I know you're really hard on yourself, but you're as accurate as it gets in my eyes. Anyway, like when when I need to know what's going to happen, I read BA's forecast, and it puts me on the pow. <laughs> That's right. It, it does. It, it, like, it's it's Powbot approved. Yeah, yeah and I get excited yeah. now because I I'm fast now. Like if you just got graduated, uh, you know, this year, and then you're coming, and you yeah. want to, you're like, hey, I'm going to be your day off guy. I'm like, all right, here's what I do. The guy will be there for six hours, seven hours, I'm, and I'm boom, two three hours because yeah. I've been doing it for so long now. I do it every single day all season, and, and I can sit down and just digest. And you still love it. And I and I. It became work, especially when I was working two jobs. Yeah. It can come and last season, like when I'm getting into April, May, and it's still going, and I'm like, oh man, I'm getting burned out. I haven't slept all winter. Yeah, I have to remind myself. So like right now, this time of year, like today, I drove around the lake. I visited ski areas, picked up my passes, got some ski gear for my kids, ate lunch in Truckee, and I'm just like, okay, this is exciting. I work in the ski industry. Like that's an exciting thing. Like I'm going to ski a lot of these mountains. Use this new ski gear. I live in a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. I have to like remind myself sometimes um but no i'm never not excited when i'm on the trail skiing in thigh deep powder and hooting and hollering with my friends that's i never forget in that moment you're, you're still into the chase yeah but when i'm sitting there doing the forecast and it takes me till 9 10 a.m and then i'm exhausted because i've been up since super early in the morning getting that forecast out and then i look and it and the i80s crawling up to the mountains and i'm like do I really want to go chase powder today? Like I'm really tired already. And now I got to go drive in that traffic and deal with that. So, so <laughs> there's that too. But yeah. once you're up there and in it, you're like, Oh, what an idiot. Why would I even question sitting in that traffic to do this right now? Yeah. Well, some days <laughs> I, I've, I've lived in like, cause you live in Northwest Reno. You used to live in, in the core Lord. We, this core Lord court, we call it because now Sam's right there. Uh, you know, we had on, Sam Hamilton, we had on early on on the show, who's Mar- an old friend of yours. Mar- Marco Osborne. Lives Marco right. Osborne's Sam, over here. who like pretty much saved my life one time in the backcountry. <laughs> he's yeah, I mean, he's a he's a core lord just like yeah. you and and uh, people who live down here. I feel like in the last couple of years with I eighty, I have gotten better at knowing when to not bother. Like mm-hmm. there's some mornings you get up, you look at the road, you look at like 
the the freeway is backed up and you know and like gold ranch is a complete parking lot and there's trucks going sideways and people are trying to back out of a bush and you're like mm, nope i'm just gonna stay put this morning it's just i'll get up at three it. and drive up to there and i'll sit in front of the lodge like at sugar bowl or palisades or north star i'll get as Somewhere that, where I know I can get a Wi-Fi signal. That's what you got to do. You got to get a forecast. Write your forecast from the parking lot. I write the lot. forecast from oh, my that's car hard. because because I, I or else I know I couldn't get there. You couldn't get there. Yeah. If I wait till seven eight in the morning, I'm not yeah, getting there. Not I have to go at three. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to ask you on that, dude. It, are, are there any webcams that you that are your like your favorites for chasing pow and staying in tune with what's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Sugar Bowl's always been one of my favorites because those tables, too. those tables really can those show tables. you the table, yeah. And that's at the base, right? Right. So, right. So I mean, it's only great. The base. Funny you say that because I was curious if that was that because that's one of mine. I always check that one. That's a good one. And I and I also check the uh, some of the weather station. I like I like DRI's weather station on Mount Rose. That one tells me a lot of information if uh, yeah. I, if I get out of bed or not. Like if it's if it's below freezing up there, I'm like, all right, I'm yeah. You can check rise. Mount Rose. For especially for I check a lot of cams when I'm trying to figure out where the snow level is. When snow levels are fluctuating between seven to nine thousand mm. feet in a storm, how do you know where it's sitting at that current moment? You got to check on all these webcams at the top of Heavenly Roads, really high, or top of, top of uh, Rose Kirkwood, or top of Rose, and you're like, where is the snow level? And then you're trying to find it on the cam where it's white, where that white strip is. So I use it for that. Um, if if it's I mean the base of Palisades is different than the base of Sugar Bowl. Base of Sugar Bowl has a ton of terrain, and your base of Palisades is like. There's not much there. You yeah. basically have to go up the cable car. So whatever's happening at the base doesn't affect your skiing very much. What's happening at mid and upper mountains is really what's affecting your, your skiing there. So it's just knowing which camps. Yeah, cams. the base of Alpine is a little bit higher than the base of Palisades. Yeah. yeah. It's like the village at North Star. That's not going to affect your skiing at North Star. Like, yeah. <laughs> there, no one skis down there in the village. You're all skiing up the top. So and Consistently, inch for inch, where does, it, where does it snow the most in Tahoe? It snows the most northwest of the lake. That's sure where all. it catches most of the snow. Sometimes Kirkwood, because it sticks farther west. But the farther west you are, and the higher you are, you're gonna you're gonna lift those clouds that the mountain lift. Mm-hmm. So the moisture is gonna hit that mountain, get lifted. So the 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 air is already rising and causing clouds and causing precipitation. So it's raining over Sacramento, and then it just gets extra lifted. That orographic effect mm-hmm. of the mountains, and it squeezes out. And then when the clouds clear the crest and come over the lake or over Reno, they start to sink and warm, and they can hold more moisture mm-hmm. and they they've already lost some moisture mm-hmm. so everything that's high and west is going to usually get the most unless it's a uh, inside slider and then in super warm years like um we, we were talking about it i think over text the other day but there was that really warm seat like 16 17 had a ton of ars really warm storms mm-hmm. and i believe sugar bowl had 780 inches that year and mount rose 15 had, inches of rose, rain rose on top of more, it. Right? Mm-hmm. and then mount rose was 760 but I think they were back and forth. There was there was weeks where Mount Rose was actually ahead of Sugar Bowl, which is not normal because they're on the east side of the lake where the clouds are drier. Well, yeah. Well, that year, Sugar Bowl had something like 750, 800 inches of snow with 15 inches of rain. Right. So like if that would have been all snow, they'd have been over 1,000 inches yeah. of snow. That was one year definitely where the precipitation outpaced the snow. Yeah. As a percentage of average, opposite of last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, it's been awesome jiving with you. Thanks about for coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's fun. It's been so good. Yeah, it's, we've just been nerding out. I, hopefully our listeners nerd out on weather as much as we all do. But I think there have been some really cool insights. And uh, But there's one thing we're going to put you on the spot, as we do with all of our listeners um, when we have a guest on. The name of our podcast is Mind the Track. And at the end of each show, we like to ask our guests, when you hear the 
the term mind the track, what do you think of? What comes to mind? You can take a minute because I know maybe you, I don't know if you mountain bike or ride single track or anything, but like in a ski, maybe in a ski reference or even in a forecasting, what you do with snow and, and weather, like when you hear mind the track, like what do you think about? I think it's important in all those sports. I just think, for me, it's super frustrating when I'm a snowboarder, right? So flat areas suck. Yeah. Right? And so when someone's laid a track and someone goes a car across it or gets off their board and walks in it, <laughs> and then now you're stuck, and now you're post-holing behind them, like, thanks, buddy. Like, that would say mind the track. Like, stay on the track. What are you doing? Or get off to the side and let me come through and blow past you. But, Yeah. I think Pavot would appreciate yeah, that. I, I appreciate that one. That's, that's why I wax every day. <laughs> so that'll never happen to me. Well, Brian, where can people, um, aside obviously from Open Snow, um, the Tahoe forecast on Open Snow, where can people find you uh, if you're on social media or anything yeah. else like that? So earlier you asked me, do I still call them blogs? I do, but the official name that we've coined is Daily Snows. Okay. Your daily dose of snow, right? So the Tahoe Daily Snow. Uh, I post on there. I do the I-80 I daily snow every morning, and then I do a Palisades Tahoe daily snow, which is specific to that mountain's weather, mm-hmm. uh, which can be different than other mountains, even though they're all pretty close around this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I post a lot on X, formerly Twitter. <laughs> uh-huh. So I've gotten rid of all my other social media, but the reason mm-hmm. I stayed on X is because it's so heavy with... It was always more of a nerdy uh, of all the uh, social media, and there's a lot of scientists on there and a lot of meteorologists on there and I see a lot from them, and I post a lot about it. So it's a lot of more interaction of scientists and weather stuff on there. Interesting. Um, and I've got a big following in there. So I post updates there, and everything else you get from me um, is a subscription to Open Snow now because we two years ago uh, became a subscription site, and currently for a single season it's $29, which is... Worth every single yeah, dollar, worth man. Yeah. Worth every dollar. It's only $2 and something change a month. And uh, for $29, yeah. think about all the other things you're buying for your ski season. 29 bucks is the cheapest thing you're going to buy all, all season. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll admit that I, I admit that I held out for a little while. I was like, oh, man, I got to get the subscription. And then I stopped reading. And then I was like, what the hell am I doing? It's 30 bucks a year yeah. to read like the best forecasting for the stuff I love to do. It, it's a no-brainer. Just do it. And we've dumped out so much new technology with yeah. that revenue. We just dump it all back in with all the new maps and features and pinpoint forecast now and our own weather models and more in the pipeline, tons more stuff coming. And so, and that's all being supported by, and we use a lot of the recommendations of our subscribers feedback of like, Hey, you should do this. You should do this. It's constantly in our chat every day. Hey, this guy just wrote in. He said, we should do this. That's interesting. Yeah, so let's talk at the next meeting. How can people reach out and chat with you then? Uh, hello at opensnow.com. Okay. Like we share that in a, in a uh, Slack channel and we, we'll comment on it. And so people will give all the time. Like some guy wrote in about, um, snowmaking. He, he must work at one of the ski areas and he makes, he's one of the snowmakers. And we were talking about wet bulb and we had an article we just wrote about wet bulb and how to fix snowmaking. He's like, your number's a little bit off. It's actually better to make snow at this, you know, wet bulb temperature, you know, versus this one. And Joel wrote to um, one of our forecasters wrote the article. He goes, go in and change the numbers to what he said because he's the expert on snowmaking. Yeah, so we listen cool. to people and we, we add features based on what people are asking for using their subscription money. So you're in direct control and you're not going to get any ads in your face anymore. And um, you, you're just like part of our team. And we, when we launch a forum, that'd be more fun because then you could be part of the family and talk. We'll, we'll probably be in there. <laughs> talking with you guys too so awesome well i'm gonna keep reading me so i want i want i want to get off the white ribbon of death 
Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Pray for snow. Yeah. We Get had 50 inches as of today, last year. And so far this year, we've got about six. So yeah. we're still, we're still mountain biking. Are you holding out? Are you, are you, are you, I, mean, I know you're okay. not going to make a season prediction, but the, I, I will predict the season predictions I have put out is that El Nino's typically don't start till mid to late December for the heaviest snowfall. And then they go later, like late yeah. to end of April and okay. early May. They're usually also warmer storms, more ARs, more warm storms coming from the south. They don't have the cold Arctic trajectory. So, we're going to have a snow level issues um, yeah. more than we did last year for sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, that's, that's my two surprised. predictions. That's not surprising. So we're in the first inning. First so pitch it's of the early. First yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not uncommon to have below average snowfall in October, November and El Nino. And then right. it picks up in December. Right. Okay. Um, you know, it's all about how you finish. It's all about how you finish, man. Yeah. I'm okay yeah. with slow starts as long as we finish with a bang. No, nope. a lot of people, I mean, the ski resorts definitely care because they, and, this, and the apparel companies and everyone who sells stuff pre-season is like, just early season past sales is the most important thing. Right. But for locals, we're like, we don't really need a lot of snow until after Christmas when all the crowds leave. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I do like skiing early. I like it when we have early December, you know? though, because the sun angle's low. Yeah. We true. haven't been hit with a bunch of, there's not too many people up here. But I, I wait nice. till three, two footers is my rule. That's before that's I go off me. trail. Yep. Because I don't want to ruin my We equipment. talked about this last oh, yeah, episode. <laughs> do we go early or do you wait? I no, wait, man. Yeah. I wait. I don't, I don't like to buy new boards every year because exactly, I'm ruining yeah. them in this rocks. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Brian. Well, Thanks again, thanks, man. Buddy. It's been yeah, a blast been catching up with you and getting to know you better and, and learning yeah, yeah, about all for the sure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for everything you do. I mean, the, in the backcountry world, in my world, like we we rely on your forecast a lot. Yeah. It's a part of our daily intake of information and our lives depend on it. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. You're welcome. It's been a lot thanks. of fun. Well, thanks everyone for listening to episode number 25 with Brian Allegretto, a.k.a. B.A. here on Mind the Track. And until next time, get out there. Get deep and put your mind in the trap. 